Blog Talk Radio. Twice in one week before Eric. Never, it's the first. But we had to do it sometime. Man, definitely. Hey, real quick, this uh if this is your first time tuning in, this is the last second shot podcast. Um me and my brother Eric Thomas. Um we usually do a high school show. Um during the high school season it's on Wednesdays. Um People have been asking for our our pro and college edition. And um, what, a, what a time to start. You know, we're in the thick of things with the WNBA right now. Um, and we can let this bleed over right into the right into the college season. You know, so, you know, we're here, man. Um, a lot of stuff to talk about. If you follow me on Twitter, um, you know, I've spent a lot of time covering the uh, Chicago Sky Beat um, for Women's Hoops World. Um, and, and I recently um, um, have, have fallen off from that position, um, you know, had to get into my coaching um, for July. And, um, you know, hopefully I'll be back uh, to cover uh, a college beat um, this upcoming season. But uh, with that being said, Let's quickly just, you know, bring everybody up to speed with our thoughts um, so far on the WNBA season. Um, The Chicago Sky don't have a plan. The Minnesota Lynx look like they're probably going to win the championship. Sylvia Falls is playing MVP basketball. Um, Kelsey Plum isn't the number one pick that she was hyped up to be. Did I miss any storylines? Um, no, not really. Not, no, you missed one. The, the, the Diamond to Shield situation, or, or are we going to get in that later? Well, that, that's a little different. Um, that, I, That's more so on the college side. You know, obviously it has a WNBA effect as well, but, you know, I feel like, uh, you know, we'll get into that a little later. So, with that being said, post-All-Star break, um, deep into the season, we're we're nearing the playoffs here. Who's your favorite to win it all? My favorite would be, even though, you know, I'm an L.A. Sparks fan, 
I, I gotta go with the Minnesota Leafs. They 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 look too good right now. They really, you know, as you say, similar similar Files, you know, is you know probably the MVP right now. You know, if everything stopped today, she's probably winning that award. They that that four-headed monster is back and is is rare. It is it, tearing the league up. It's tearing the league apart. I mean, they're so good right now. It looks like they're embarrassing the league. That's how good they are. You know, I don't want to be this person, um, but I might might have to be this person. The Minnesota Lynx are reminding me a lot of, of, of that Houston team, man. They're, I mean, a, a I mean, lot. They, they, they do. They they, they, they they put you in their mind because they're so dominant. You know, they, obviously they don't have a string of championships, but they have rings, and it looks like they're going to get another one. And But they're so they're just as dominant, though. Well, yeah, obviously, you know, they're not um, – it, it's not that 97 to 2000 stretch, which it could have been if, you know, if, if last year doesn't happen to – probably the best game in, I don't want to say it, but, you know, probably one of the best games in WNBA history um, in, in that closeout game, Minnesota versus Los Angeles. Um, but, I mean, you look at what Cooper, Swoops, and Thompson were able to do, and then you look at what Waylon Moore, uh, Augustus, and Falls is doing, very, very similar. Um, I think... I think um, I think they went twenty-seven and three in ninety-eight. The comments did. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, we're we're talking about a Minnesota Lynx team that was, was, you know, they haven't lost in the opening month of the season in in, in years. Um, it, it, they're they're scary good. Um, and, and I do think that you are looking at, at a championship uh, season this year. Obviously, you don't know um, because a lot of people rode off uh, Minnesota early on last year, um, and then they they stormed back to be that uh, that championship team. So obviously, you don't know. And the Minnesota Lynx do have uh, a weakness or two, but I mean, you're looking at them right now. 21 games in, they're 19 and two. They're 19 and two, and they have four games left. I listen. I think they could match. They could possibly match. Um, the obviously it's not the same amount of games, but they can match what the comments did. Uh, back then, obviously they're gonna um, tip off against the Dream um, at eight o'clock tonight, and um, so it, we're just starting off with hot takes. I do think Minnesota Lynx um, is that dominant team of this uh, this generation of WNBA players, and and I do think that they win this year. I don't see anybody stopping them. Um, obviously, uh, you know I, I did see them lose to the Chicago Sky by 24 
Um, I'm not worried about that, though. They they then went and played the Mercury back-to-back at Mercury and then uh, at Phoenix and then came back in, in, um, at Minnesota and won both of those games by big margins. Yeah, they, they had their down moments, but I do think Minnesota is the team to beat. No, of course. Of course they're the team to beat. I mean, you know, 19-2, and two, no matter who they lost to, I mean, come on, the seven, you know, the 96 Bulls lost to the to, to the uh, the franchise beginning Raptors, you know, in that season. So, it does, obviously, it doesn't matter who they lose. That record speaks for itself. Obviously, they're, you know, just terrorizing the league. And <clears throat> I think the only team that has a chance at stopping this might be another hot take. I think the only team that has a chance of stopping them is the Sparks. And I think we'll see a rematch. But I think Minnesota's going to come out victorious this time. Definitely. Um, it, it helps to have Sylvia Foles playing at, at this high of a level. Um, but, you know, a team that I think can make it to the championship um, is the Phoenix Mercury. I, I think the Phoenix Mercury, um, if you just pay attention to what they've been able to do, obviously they have the WNBA GOAT um, and this Diana Taurasi on the team. But Brittany Griner has finally made that, that step that everybody has been waiting on. Um, she leads the league in scoring, um, and, and she's a close second to Sylvia Foles. Um, a close second to Sylvia Foles for me if I had a w, uh, WNBA MVP vote. She's a close second uh, for – for MVP. So I do think that uh, the Phoenix Mercury can make it um, if Brittany Griner keeps this up. Um, and obviously that's looking ahead. We first have to get to the playoffs. And like I said, most teams have about four or so games um, left, um, you know, before they uh, get there. Um, but I'm going to – you can't take away from what Brittany Griner is doing, man. She is, she is, she is doing her thing. And then, and then you have Candace Parker. You have Candace Parker who, who's throwing her hand in the race, uh, you know, right, right when it's kind of ideal, because you know almost all sports are what have you done for me lately type of thing. And then, um, and then Parker puts up a, a triple double. Yes, I, I mean, was it the, the only the sixth triple double in, in WBA history? Um, she's the sixth person um, to do it. Sixth person, okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we all know. I mean, like this is kind of kind of becoming like. A, a, a recurrent theme in her career where, you know, she may have a, a, a not necessarily slow but non-explosive one, you know, uh, uh, a stretch where it's, it's not as, you know, the, the, the numbers in her play doesn't jump out the box. She's still consistent, 
you know, a consistent 18 a night and, you know, 10 rebounds or whatever, but she always has these stretches, whether it be at the, where she come like last year, she more so came out like this and opened up on a big hot start, or she'll have, you know, right now at the, at, at the end of the year, at the end of, end of the year, she's having this real great stretch. She always has a big stretch during the season. It's becoming, you know, so we, we, it is nothing new that we've seen from her. And now it's just coming at the most opportune time. You're talking about, you know, trying to get the MVP. And, you know, it's crazy because last season it was a different narrative. You saw um, you saw Candace Parker come uh, to the Sparks who, who started off last season really bad and then – um, and she she got on the court finally and went crazy because you know she seemed more motivated um, by the uh, W by the uh, U.S. Women's National Team slide and and, uh, and being written off of the the team. Um, so you know, Candace Parker kind of keeps that fire, um, and I, and she, right now she's peaking at the right time. Um, you obviously we started off the show with um, our WNBA finals predictions, which I don't know. I think us starting the podcast midway through the season um, is better because, you know, we can just come straight out with it. And it's an informed and a rational guess on who's going to win. But out of I, I would have Candace Parker in my top five if we were talking about um, voting. Um, but out of that, out of the top five people that I would have, I think Candace Parker is used probably the most and in different ways than any anybody else. Oh yeah. I mean she I mean she's six five but she's a you know, she's a guard but but she has great footwork and she's able to work down low as well and she's also a very great playmaker. I mean she's averaging you know, almost five assists a game. So that, that only speaks to, you know, how great all of our players is, which speaks to her high usage rate and, you know, and how many different ways she's being used. And it's just so crazy, like, because even while we're sitting here talking about Candace, Sylvia, we're overlooking their teammates who are legitimate MVP candidates as well, um, and Neneka and, and, and Maya Moore. I mean, Maya Moore just put on one of the best performances ever in the All-Star game. Um, and to me, you know, she's always in the MVP race um, just because our presence on the link um, is is known. Um, I, I feel like, and I, I, I hate to be this person, but just from a coaching standpoint, if I'm going into the game and I have to choose who's going to hurt me, who I would rather hurt me, and I have a choice between Sylvia Foles and I have a choice between Maya Moore, I'm going to choose Sylvia Foles going off against me rather than Maya Moore. Every single time. No, I I would agree with that. And, And it's funny that we're talking about Maya Moore this year as a number two, rather than the, the the number one on her on her own team. 
But, you know what I'm saying? Like, forget the league. We always have arguments who's the best in the league, Maya, Diana, Candace. But now she's, she's, you know, this year, she's number two on her own team. And it's funny that you look at the Sparks bringing back to Kumake. She's the reigning MVP. She's the reigning MVP. And is having another stellar year. But, you know, if you ask most people, who watch NBA basketball? She's probably further down on that on that MVP list. She's probably six or seven on that list right now. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's <laughs> the WNBA is a is a very talent field uh, league, and a lot of people don't realize that. Obviously, the WNBA jokes. You know, they they fly constantly, but. Because there's only 12 teams, there's so much talent and so many big-time performances that, that happen that it is, is really weird. Like, if you look at the All-Star game, the reigning MVP was coming off of the bench. That's the reigning MVP coming off the bench in the All-Star game. That is wild to me. But um, be that as it may... I mean, Maya Moore isn't – she's no slouch. Um, I think she's shooting like 43, 44% from three-point uh, three range. Seven, 17, six and Yeah, 17, 6, and 4 with like two steals as well, a game. That is amazing. That That's amazing. But – um, I, I do think that obviously if there was no Foles breakout year this year, Maya Moore is obviously um, at the top. She's at the top of, of your MVP list, uh, without a doubt. But you also have to you have to weigh: Would you rather have one less teammate to take the shine for you, or would you rather be hands down the best team in the league? That's a good question. I would take the best team in the league any any day of the week. The check clears the same way. <laughs> the check clears the same way. So I, you know, right. obviously I, you know, I love winning. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm choosing winning as well. And Maya Moore, she's used to winning, so I'm I'm pretty sure you know she's not tripping. Now if we have all of these people, and we start to lose, then it's a problem. And then that, so that brings me to the Chicago Sky. Man, I, I and I'll where, where, do, where do we start? I'll pull up the tweets. I had high hopes um, for the Chicago Sky. Um, Amber Stocks took over as coach, which that was a. That was kind of controversial. I won't say it was very controversial, but it was um, it, it was definitely something that a lot of people were caught off guard by um, because, you know, everything was fine. Everything was fine. Um, obviously, you know, they hadn't won a championship, but, you know, who's really beating the Lynx or who's really beating the Sparks last year? 
Um, so, you know, Amber Stocks takes over. They trade Elena Deladon. Um, they get the number two and nine pick. And then they proceed to waste those picks. It's just, it was, I mean, I, I well into this season, I cannot say that the Chicago Sky did not waste their, their draft picks. You know, obviously, everybody was kind of holding their breaths. Maybe Elena Coates can come towards the end of the season. Guys, she's not playing this year. That's that's kind of been the language ever since they drafted her. It's always been a we don't know if she's going to get onto the court type of thing. But now, but now we're talking about they drafted uh, Victoria Jankowska, Tori Jankowska out of Michigan State at number nine, which it, that's number nine in the first round. She doesn't even make it past. She made it through one game where she didn't get in the game, and she was cut. Courtney Van, Courtney um, Vandersloot comes over, and she adds a spark. Um, I, obviously, Allie Quigley is great. Tappy Pondexter, one of the more underrated players in WNBA history, um, is on the team. Um, Amani Boyette was on the team until, you know, they got rid of her. And what do they have left? Now they ha- they're going into they're going into next year in the same position except this year they're not gonna make the playoffs. So the Chicago Sky Go into the postseason. Um, you know they'll finish up the season with. Uh, well, I don't think they're going to finish at five hundred, but you know they'll they'll finish the season and then they'll have two draft picks um, because of the trade. There's not a solid plan. You cannot trade Imani Boyette away um, and have one of the older. Um, one of the older and more inconsistent teams in the league and trade away somebody who could be your centerpiece going forward and think that and convince your fans and convince writers and media that you have a plan going forward. That's not how it works. That's not, I I think they're just throwing darts at the board and that's fine. That's fine. If you're a dart player, but you're a WNBA team. You're a professional franchise who has who has a fan base that's used to you going to the playoffs. They're used to you getting to the semifinals. They're used to you contending to be in a championship. And you know, I, I think I think Amber Stocks is a great person. Um, and I think she actually, I think her basketball mind, as far as coaching, is great. As the GM of this team, she has not done well. In her first year. No, she hasn't. Uh, no, she hasn't. And, you know, have we seen this big of a dip in, in, the, in, in the franchise? Like, have we seen this big of a dip from, I don't know, I mean, losing a land is big. Losing a, a, a top three, top five player in this league is huge. 
But I don't think we've seen this big of a dip in the franchise before. Well, okay. I mean, and and let me stop that, too. Losing Elena Deladon was huge, but a lot of people don't realize they didn't have Elena Deladon for a lot of last season. But what they did have, they had Pokey there, and he was coaching around not having Elena, and when she got back, that's when they made their push. The Elena Deladon trade, they got wet, they got compensated well enough to be okay after her. They definitely got compensated well enough to be after her. They got a top two draft pick. You know, like, that's not – they got a top two draft pick. They got Stephanie Dolson. Um, it, and, and one of the, the biggest trades in WNBA history, um, they got Stephanie Dawson, um, Kalea Cooper, who got injured, so I'll give you that. And then they got the number two pick, which they used on a player who couldn't play this year on a position that they already had a lot of. That's not, that's not smart. It's just not, that's not smart. Like, you know, so many people was like, well, this is life after Elena Deladon. I just don't think that the Skies have a solid plan right now. I think they just gifted Imani Boyette to Atlanta, and Atlanta is going to love that because they have the guards, and Imani Boyette is very athletic. Um, she knows what to do when she gets the ball. Um, and she's really just a good person. So, I think that they just made Atlanta better. Obviously, they get a 2018 draft pick, which that that's a hot commodity. I'm not gonna lie, that's a 2018 draft pick. 2018 draft is is one of the deepest WNBA drafts I've I've seen that I've paid attention to. And, and but the Chicago Sky have to have a plan. They they can't go into next year like they did this year. I love Vandersloot, I love Quigley, but and I love Cappy as well. But they need to add some youth to their backcourt. Um, and or excuse me, I'm not trying to call the backcourt old, even though Cappy is getting up there. Quigley is isn't old, old, and neither is Vandersloot. But they need to add they need to add flair and youth to their backcourt. Um. Obviously, Dolson, I, I feel like she's having a good year, um, you know, in spite of the record. But that's why she's doing well. Um, and, and their front court is solid. They have a solid front court rotation. And if you add Colts into that next year, I feel like, you know, you're going to have something good that happens. But who do you go to when you need – I mean, when you really just need somebody to take over? Like I said, Cappy shows flashes that she can still do it. But are you going to ask your 34-year-old, 35 next next year old to, to keep doing that? that? That's insane. No, it is insane. You can't you can't ask you know your your very experienced vet to play like she's 25 again. Like you, you, you can't do that. It's too much wear. It's too much trying to buy. You can't ask her. To, she's not. She's still very, very, very good. Cappy's very, very good. I think she's one of the more underrated superstars in the league as far as her whole career. But 
she's not going to follow anymore. She can't carry a franchise anymore. She's still very good. She can't carry a franchise anymore. That's that's too much. You have to get some use. She has, she has to have some help. Honestly, in the WNBA, I, there's not there's not one person who can really carry a franchise anymore. There's only 12 teams. These teams are building up. They're getting the best players in the world on their team, right? So, she, I, I mean, for sure she can't do it by herself. But age doesn't have anything to do with it. Even if this is prime Cappy Pondexter, you got, you got to put together a team that's going to go out there every night and, and get it done. And the Chicago Sky, just they have not done that under the first year of Amber Stocks. And I don't think it's X and O's because they're in a lot of these games. They blow a lot of second-half leads, leads. And that's that's personnel. That is personnel to me, um, which Amber Stocks has control over. She's the GM and the head coach. So now you have to balance, you have to balance those. You know, and, I mean, you traded for Jordan Hooper. Uh, listen, you traded away to Mary Young, who, like I said, if you're if you're just you know, obviously Tamara Young was kind of on the older side, but she had found a jump shot. She was a real niche player, always played hard defense. But Amani Boyette, man, that's that's crazy. And then, I mean, Hooper, you know, she's good. You know, I liked her at Nebraska. You know, didn't she win Big Ten Player of the Year? Yeah. Yeah, she won Big Ten Player of the Year in uh, in 2014. But she's not that player in the WNBA. You know, obviously she, she can shoot the ball, but – you know, you traded away Young, who was a fan favorite. She's she's been in Chicago for she was nine, almost ten years, um, and and she was and she she was a solid scorer. Um, Boyette was making that leap this year. It it just it rubs the fans the wrong way. Um, just from the reaction I saw. Um, and a lot of people just don't know what the sky are planning going forward. And like I said, they're not—they're not, they're not going to make the playoffs. We're—we're we're looking at them not making the playoffs. We know that much. But they—they have—they have to show us something. They have to show the league something and their fans something before, um, you know, people just abandon ship. I mean, I mean, listen. I was I was optimistic, but listen. I I think obviously you found something in Stephanie Dolson, correct? Um, they kept Michaela Epps on the roster, and I think that was their second round pick. Um, you know, Cappy is Cappy. You know, I, I feel like she's the person you tell to go get you a bucket when you really need it. Quigley is good, but like I said, she's a bit older now. 
She, she's only a few years younger than, than Cappy Pondexter. Loved her at DePaul. Vandersloot, you know, she's getting she's getting up there in age as far as the league average. Um, obviously, she can go – Vandersloot and Quigley have been a great backcourt since they got back from overseas. But, you know, listen, Vandersloot is giving you nine points a game. Um, but her her passing is great. But my thing is, are you telling me in the draft, in the draft you couldn't go get somebody to power you, to to power you and do both? Because I can think of a, a very good, I can think of a very good rookie guard down there in Atlanta who went number seven overall, who is kind of doing good, Brittany Sykes. I I said before the I said before the the draft that she was one of the best players in the draft period, the best point guard in the draft. And now she's out there going crazy, getting to the rim at will, dishing the ball. How's Atlanta looking really good? Listen, hindsight is twenty twenty, but I know one thing: you can't say you can't say that when your team is below five hundred. <laughs> your your foresight has to be twenty twenty as well. It has to be. It has to be. I mean, speaking you know, speaking of plans, you know. I, I I really want to talk about this San Antonio Stars thing because I re, I wonder what their plan is too. You know, they drafted Kelsey Plum. You know, before the the draft. You know, great great college career, great career at Washington, great career at Washington. And you look at Darren's tweets, and I think I've tweeted a couple times. You know, because you said to me, E, she's good. But in big games, for some reason, she's not there. And I really didn't pick up on they're on the West Coast, so I, you know, I didn't have the package to really watch all of their games. And once I really, you know, start catching playbacks and things of that nature, and there are big games out there, I started to notice that, and I said, okay, that's a problem. That's kind of a problem. Might get fixed sooner than later. But for someone with all these expectations, for all of the hype, the 30 points a game, the assist records, and everything like that, that's all great, but will it translate? That's the question, you know, and I've caught some flack for I know Darren's caught a lot of flack for because he said more than I have. What You know, like, will her game translate to the WNBA? We've had big questions about that, and right now it's not looking like it. I mean, I've seen tweets from reporters. This is a story that I've read asking the question, will Kelsey Plum be the Michael Jordan of the WNBA? That's that's a a lot of – that's a heck of a headline. That's but my thing is, my thing is, they put this expectation on her during a weak draft class. 
So, I mean, you know, obviously I think there's some good rookies in the league. Um, obviously you look at what Dallas has in their rookies, um, the duo from South Carolina. You look at Brady Sykes. There's some good rookies in the league. But this, I mean, top to bottom, it was, just wasn't one of those drafts where he's like, it, it's a can't miss. Nobody ever said that about Rachel Bannon when she went on that run. Um, and, and I think I'm going to come out and say it. Rachel Bannon's run might have been more impressive than Kelsey Plum's. Well, I, I agree with you in that sense because you want to know why it was probably more impressive? Because Big game. Those games those, yeah, those games meant more. Those games meant more. They're trying to get a higher seed in the Big Ten tournament. And in tournament games, those are big games. Those are games that are nationally televised. Those are the games you tuned in to see, the 50 against Northwestern in overtime. You tuned in to watch that because Northwestern was rolling at that time. And against Michigan was, State, was against Ohio State. I mean, State. you talk about top-ranked teams in the country, top guards, and it was it was mean. It was whatever way you wanted. Kelsey Plum, she did good. It was decent. But no, nope. I said all of that to say nobody, not once, um, crowned Rachel Bannum just because of her scoring output and and really returning Minnesota to a place where um, they were more respected um, because Minnesota women's basketball before Rachel Bannum had that breakout season wasn't that highly thought of. Nobody ever said, oh, yeah, number one, without a doubt. Next big thing. Now, obviously, she went top five in that draft. But this is what happens when somebody has that hyped-up season. I just don't – you know, I, I, I was skeptical. And now we have her at San Antonio. It's not the best thing you've seen. It's not necessarily the worst thing you've seen. Um a proper way to rate Kelsey Plum's performance thus far in San Antonio. I'll give it a C. I'll give it a solid C. People struggle their rookie year. Um, And sometimes it's not what you thought. I I will say, though, as a number one overall pick, and being proclaimed as the Jordan of the WNBA, which that's not fair to her at all, but it happened. It's, listen to me. I don't think it's fair to proclaim anybody the Jordan of a, another league. One, I'm not the biggest fan of male-women comparisons. Um, I used to do it a lot, got talked to about it. I kind of see that, that point of view. That's number one. Number two, that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> that is that is a lot of pressure. But even if you were to say she was the next Lisa Leslie, which I feel like that holds more weight than, than saying that she's the Michael Jordan of, of the WNBA, just in context, um, that's too much for somebody who's never played a professional game. 
or somebody who never won a national championship in college. If Maya Moore didn't get that treatment coming out of UConn, then I can't. I couldn't in good conscience just dub uh, Kelsey Mitchell as that person. No, you can't, you can't. and no, and it's making because I said this before, you know, b- before the draft. I, I, I remember telling Darren, even though Elena Coles is not going to play this year, that may be more, you know, it may be more um, conducive to San Antonio if they just trade down and get that pick to, and give the number one pick to somebody else and trade down and draft Elena Coles at three or four, it addresses a need. Sure, you may not get her this year, but thinking long term, you have the big that you need. You have the big that you want. Well, obviously. Or they could have gone, um, or they, or they gone with the duo from one of the duo from from South Carolina and Gray or, or Davis. But I, I thought that I thought they needed a versatile person, and I was all for Nia Coffee going um, number one. And anybody who wants to debate me on it, whatever. But what I will say um, about that is, I there was a lot of speculation that San Antonio was going to trade out of the pick, or they were going to trade Kelsey Plum on draft night, um, and. I just heard that San Antonio was asking for too much for her. Or there there wasn't really anybody willing to do, you know, do the, the pick, um, the 2018 pick or their player, the players that they uh, wanted. So, you know, that and that's just, you know, a little, a little tidbit that I heard. But that makes this an interesting topic, and I, we hinted at it. Well, this is—I don't think this is where Eric wanted to go, but it's a great question. If Diamond DeShields comes out last year, does she go number one overall? That's a really good question. I—I I personally, I would, as much as I was saying, if she came out. She would have been the best player in the draft. Um, I think San Antonio would have felt taken taken Plum using hindsight twenty twenty. I think San Antonio probably would have taken Plum the whole time if the shields that came out or not. See, it just I it, to me it just seems like San Antonio won. Um, did have the intentions on drafting her, I mean, um, on, on trading her, because there wasn't a lot of support um, before training camp opened that she would not be traded. You look at all the rumor mills, all of the speculation, it's, like I said, this offseason in, in, in the WNBA was one of the uh, was one of the biggest um, off seasons in WNBA history, just as far as the blockbuster deal with Deladon, and then obviously you have the hype from Kelsey Plum. You might experience the first ever first pick traded um, in WNBA history. 
was a lot of speculation. Just as a professional organization, I see I have a young player on my team. She has all of this hype. That's a hard thing to live up to. Why not, you know, come out with a a, a strong statement? Um, why not come out with a strong statement to say, "Hey, look, that's 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 asinine. We're going to keep Kelsey Plum. Um, we're going to keep Kelsey Plum, and we have no intention on trading her." There was no statement like that until they were in training camp. And it had already been reported the deal wasn't getting done. That's that's after they rushed. You know, that that's after they, they said, Hey, look, we're gonna we're gonna um shop shop her around. If you listen to and I was remember I was doing the video conference um I was doing the video conference uh news conferences press conferences on draft night because I couldn't actually be um, in New York. They asked Kelsey from what happens if you get traded. She wasn't even confident. She had received no reassurance that she was going to be on the team. So do I think they still play Russian roulette and get stuck with uh, Plum and maybe get stuck with is the wrong verbiage to use, but do I think, you know, they, they you know, play the, to the tables? No, I think they take the shields. I think they take the shields because she fits the need. They have a good point guard, a great young point guard, who, but she's not really a scorer. Now, they do need a bid, but you can play the shields one through three. And if you want to get exotic with it, you can put her at the four if you want to. I mean, obviously, you know that that can that can backfire, but it, it can also work out really well. I I think you don't even you don't even have to play that game. But long behold, Diamond De Shields goes back to Tennessee and um, leaves Tennessee before the start of this season. Yeah, that that situation, you know, is very. It is it, very confusing. It takes you on a. It's, it's been a real roller coaster, you know. Ever since um, she left North Carolina, you know, this is kind of you know bleeding over into NCAA. But it, it you know, like Darren said at the top of the show, this has both effects. This you know, this is affecting the WNBA and the NCAA uh, both at the same time. You know, it seems like ever since she left Carolina. You know, after that fabulous freshman year, I mean, she really made a statement that she was the best player in her, you know, her graduating uh, year, her graduating class, you know, taking North Carolina to the Elite Eight along with, you know, Alicia, along with Alicia Gray on that same team. It seems like ever since she got to Tennessee, it's been an up-and-down roller coaster. She, you know, having a rough start to her, um, her red shirt sophomore year and you know, going through things this, you know, this past season with Holly Warlick and everything like that, you know, the father, you know, making statements in the media about Tennessee. And now this situation, well, okay, are you coming out or are you not? Are you coming out or are you not? We're playing that waiting game and you decide to go back. And then now 
you're choosing to leave and go overseas for the season, for a year, you know, and then enter the 18 draft. It, it's a lot of it, it's a lot of question marks. A lot of a lot of this is really unanswered. Like, what's the reasoning behind it? What's the real and not politically? You know, we're trying to figure out. I think everyone's trying to figure out what's the real reasoning behind this. Why so much? Why this roller coaster? Right. Well, you know, if you remember, it, now if everybody remembers, their two top ten picks went back to Tennessee. Mercedes went back to Tennessee, and also, also um, Diamond went back to um, Tennessee. Holly Warlick had it set up. Okay. Well, Holly Warlick had it set up because she's bringing in the best recruiting class um, that 2017 had to offer. And nationwide, um, I don't know how um, deep, you know, WNBA people are into um, recruiting, women's recruiting, but if you listen to our podcast, you're going to get a lot of recruiting tidbits um, from us. Nationwide, she the 2017 class is one of the deepest in years, and she has the best in class. Um, some people have UConn as the number one class. Some people will have her. Um, I'm leaning towards UConn because of coaching. It, it'll look like the best class. But on paper, Tennessee is is the best class. And then you had two seniors or, yeah, two seniors return who could have went into the WNBA and been drafted in the first round. And Diamond DeShield leaves. Now, Eric, as a Tennessee person, um, do you think that kind of changes the outlook on the season for Holly Warlick? It it does. It changes the outlook um, a lot because, you know, with DeShield coming back, I think, you know, personally, I mean, even me being, like you said, Tennessee person, I still wanted Russell and the Shields to leave and and go into the draft and really just have Tennessee just go young with this class and the returning sophomores and juniors that they had. I think most of everybody else say, you know, we're up and down cheering that both Russell and the Shields are, you know, going to stay and, you know, all for more security. Now some of that security mm-hmm. is lost and – Holly Warlick is really under the gun now. She she was already under the gun before, but now that with the shields leaving, you you know you're you're kind of really, you know, the pressure has mounted even more for Holly Warlick to get this done because you have the best class, you have a pro that decided to stay, which is in Mercedes Russell. For those of you who don't know, is a six six center, a very good one at that. And you have the best recruiting class in the country on paper. You have to be kind of, you know, if you don't get it done this year, you know, if you don't make at least a Final Four, the work in, 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 you know, looking at, you know, reading papers, you know, different newspaper outlets and um, listening to different um, media people from Tennessee, the theme is if you don't make it win the SEC or make the Final Four, Holly Warlick is pretty much done. They're really leaning towards her being out of Tennessee and, and, and going in a different direction 
with the coaching because you have too many you have too many great rosters and too many chances and you haven't really uh sustained the Tennessee legacy where it's always consistent Sweet sixteen Elite Eight Final Four. Sweet sixteen Elite Eight Final Four. Sweet sixteen Elite Eight Final Four. With a championship and and, de- and, and definitely. I, I think, you know, if it's anybody else or if there, if it's any other university other than the University of Tennessee, Holly Worthley isn't coaching for her job this year. But since you are at the University of Tennessee, since you are the coach immediately after Pat Summit, um, you got to win. You have to win. You have great players on your team. Um, and, if you, again, if you follow me on Twitter, which I do suggest everybody follow me at Sports Spoken Real and the podcast page, uh, Last Second Shot underscore, and Eric at Quiet underscore Storm 30. You know that I, I, I said last year was the year to beat UConn. If you were going to beat UConn, it had to be last year. That's why I think South Carolina, they took advantage of, of their opportunity. They had the team to do it. It's done. It's no more beating UConn for the next two to three years. Holly, Holly has to pray that, one, she wins the SEC and gets the number one seed, and two, that they don't – if they do get that number one seed, they don't mess it up. They don't mess it up in, in, in the, the the field of 64 and be one of those upsets. Because I'll tell you what, and this is just me speculating. I don't have any insider source. But you have to think if if they don't get there, they don't get there this year, the university takes a long look and – and she might not be there after that. Um, you know, it, the, the women's basketball team is literally all that Tennessee has. Their men's basketball team hasn't been good in years. Their football team is always a disappointment. Women's basketball is it for the University of Tennessee. That's it. So, with that being said, you have to think that Holly Worlick is, is definitely coaching for her job. And she's a good coach, great person. I love that article that she wrote uh, for the Players' Tribune about uh, Pat Summit. Um, but, but, baby, you you got to win. Just win, baby. Al Davis. Oh, oh, of course. And, and the, you know, and – we're not here to, you know, casting aspersions, but we're just speaking was 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 truthful and what everybody else is thinking and hasn't said yet. She really is coaching for a job. I mean, like I said before, it's too many times she's had great roster and hasn't met expectations. Now with the SEC wide open, most people would say the SEC is wide open now. With you know, um, South Carolina losing you know, two seniors to to graduation in in the WNBA and, you know, their roster has uh, dropped a little bit and, you know, Mississippi State has returned, but, you know, how good are they going to be? They're obviously going to be very good, but their roster isn't, you know, 
head and shoulders above everybody else's, and with Tennessee now bringing in the best recruiting class, it's wide open now. And Vanderbilt is on to come up too. So in a wide open SEC, you have the best recruiting class and a pro that's staying. Like Darren just said, you have to win. If she doesn't win the SEC, it makes the demand for a Final Four national championship that much greater. And if she doesn't accomplish either of those three, it might be a change made. It really might be a change made, and I wouldn't be mad at it. I respect Hollywood a lot. I think she was a great, great, great assistant to Pat Summit. But for some reason now, you know, she got she can't. It seems like it's a disconnect with her and the players now. It really seems like it's a disconnect. I don't know, you know, for what reason or, you know, I'm not in the locker room. But from watching, you know, it just I, seems like it's I a think disconnect. She would, I think she would be a great head coach um, somewhere else. Um, just and, – and that's not me, like, being funny and saying that, oh, they need to fire her. I just think that at the University of Tennessee, when Pat Summit passed, and obviously, Pat Summit handed the job down to Holly Warlick. Um, but I feel like Holly Warlick at the University of Tennessee, for that to be your – I mean, obviously, she took over a lot of the duties um, as Pat got older. But for that to be your first actual named position as being head coach, no, sir. No, no ma'am. You have. I felt like the University of Tennessee should have kind of ushered Pat to say, "Hey, look, let's bring somebody more seasoned, seasoned in as a head coach." Now, do they probably run into the same situation replacing Pat Summit? Yes, yes, they definitely do. But I also feel like, you know, Holly's been around so long that her chance her chance to grow as her own coach and for people to realize, hey, this isn't Pat's volunteers anymore. That hasn't been afforded to her. No, it hasn't. Is it unfair? Yes, it is. In my opinion and a lot of people's opinion, you know, Pat Summit is the greatest coach ever. You know, you'll be hurt, hurt mm-hmm. you know, you know, half – Half would say Geno, half would say Hurt. You know, I think more than half would say Geno. We'll talk about it, though. But, you know. We'll talk about it. But, you know, it, it comes down to those two, though. That's a lot of, you know, that's that's one heck of a person to be compared to. That's one heck of a person to say, like, yo, she's not. Who else is going to be Pat or Geno? There's only one of them. Is, is she special for a reason? So is that fair? Yes, but at the same time, you've been afforded, you know, the same opportunity to have great teams, to have loaded teams. But you don't she, she she's been sh- just roster wise, and this Pat Summit coaching those teams. We're saying those some of the the teams that Holly has had is is one of Pat's better teams if it's Pat. Yeah. Like. Now, I will post. I will post. A, I'm going to uh, finish. Oh, finish. I didn't mean to cut you off. 
No, I'm just saying, like, if, if Pat is still here and she has this roster with the Shields thing coming for this season, we're saying that's a top – we're saying that's a top 10 Pat Summit team ever, just on paper. Yeah. On paper, yeah, not performance-wise, but – So yes, I mean, I was, you know, she she's definitely had opportunity, without a doubt. Yeah. And I will, I'll pose this question to you though, Dan. Mm-hmm. If she doesn't get it done this year, you know, and they may they may give her, you know, another year or two with this, you know, because she has you know this grand of a class. You know, if she doesn't get it done, you know, in the near future, and they decide to go a different direction, would. Samika Randall, who who's been, you know, obviously played the past summit, you know, who's been a player and probably could relate to the players more, but also has a few years of head coaching experience, being a head coach, uh, being a head coach now herself. Would you think that would that be a bad, you know, hire if they decide to go a different direction? I'm going to be completely honest. I think you have to go away from Pat Summit. Okay. I I don't I don't think it's a bad hire. I think Tamika Randall would be a great head coach um, for the University of Tennessee, um, for anybody. I think you have to. I don't want to say distance yourself, because Pat did way too much for the University of Tennessee for them to distance themselves. But kind of like, this is a, a you all have to bear with me with this analogy, but kind of like when. Penn State had to hire somebody right after Joe Paterno was dismissed or he stepped down. Um, they went and got Bill O'Brien. No ties to Joe Paterno. No no ties to the old Penn State. And he brought them back. He, he returned them to relevant. Um, because if you keep going and getting Pat Summit people, people who played for mm-hmm. Pat, people who are, um, you know, University of Tennessee, orange in, orange out, they – you're putting them in a position where they want to see a ran like Pat ran it. They want to, you know, oh, well, she's going to be like Pat Summit. This is a Pat Summit guy. And now, you know – that's just that's not the best thing to do. I feel like when you're replacing a legend, a person who's in the conversation for goat, you don't you don't keep putting their predecessors in that position. So, if it was me, I would go and secure the bag that Florida wasn't able to secure um, this summer. Throw Becky you go get Becky much. Go throw Becky Hammond as much money as you possibly can. As much as you possibly can and see if she leaves the Spurs. Now, does she leave the Spurs? I doubt it because she's, you know, she's in position to be the first head coach of an NBA team. Right? She's already the first woman head coach of a summer league NBA team and won a championship as well. But now... You know, she's moving up the assistance ranks. 
So I think Florida has the best shot of pulling her away. Um, you know, they were in serious talks, and from what I hear, they lowballed. Um, they lowballed her on, on the on the money, and she, you know, told them no. If Tennessee gets rid of Holly Warlick and Becky is still there, and she'll hear what you have to say, you gotta throw you gotta throw her whatever she wants. You probably gotta throw two bags. Uh, listen, throw her all the bags you can. Because, I mean, it's already the University of Tennessee. You're already in the SEC. You're not in a bad position. You're not a bad team. You got talent on the team. So, all of that, on top of Becky Hammond showing up to a recruit, a recruit's living room and saying, "Hi, I'm Becky Hammond. I am Becky Hammond, and I want to offer you a scholarship. I am one of the best players." to play in the WNBA. Top three point guard in the WNBA's history. I mean, I don't see a lot of point, I don't see a lot of elite point guards saying no to that. Hi, I coached alongside Greg Popovich. Come play for me. I won a summer league championship in the NBA. Pros. The pro game. Come on, come come play with me, man. Listen, and and some kids and and we are facing an epidemic where um, girls, young girl players, don't watch enough of the WNBA. But and there's a lot of players who might be too young to really know who Becky Hammond is. But if you go on YouTube and you type in Becky Hammond after she leaves, you oh yeah. <laughs> I'm going to play for her. If it does come down to that, honestly, any college next year, they should just really be like I wonder what I wonder what it takes for, for Becky to come. If you're a high major school next year and you have a coaching vacancy you better call it Becky. And I'm not talking about Becky uh, that Beyonce referred to with the good hair. <laughs> okay, time out. Time out. <laughs> time out. Give me a time out. Give me a 20 seconds. My bad. You crazy for this one, Rick. <laughs> Man, but... No, I would I would definitely do that. I really would definitely do that. And speaking of changes and head coaching changes and you know stuff like that, the you know we talk epidemics. I think it's a, a, the start, if not an epidemic, start of an epidemic where every year it seems like you know the coaching hirings and firings are just increasing, especially the firings part is increasing every year in in in, in the college ranks for women's basketball. You know, a lot of you know. We'll get to the transfer stuff later, but it, the just sticking with the with the coaches' topic, the coaches' thing. It seems like every year is you know you hear about you know just every week is somebody got fired, or somebody you know you know they they fired this person. You know, university is such and such. You know, got rid of them. 
you know, what do you think is the reason behind it, you know? There's a lot of losers. There's a lot of, there's a lot of losers. People getting fired because they can't win. They can't cash the, they can't cash the checks that they wrote. I mean, obviously you have those those weird situations, you know, where you know people do things that they aren't supposed to. But I mean, you look at you look at top programs like top, let's just stay in the Big Ten, right? Because that's primarily where you know I don't want to say that's primarily where we pay attention to, but that's primarily where we are. You look at the Big Ten and you look at how some of these teams have fallen off. Um, in the women's basketball rank, a lot of these coaches need to be fired. A lot of these, a lot of these coaches just aren't. They're either not living up to what they once were doing, or they just got in there and did nothing. Think about when the Big Ten expanded. Right, we got Rutgers, and we got Maryland, and we got Nebraska. Everybody was like, "Oh, Rutgers! Rutgers in Maryland is going to be a—it's going to be tough." Now Maryland has been great, but you look at Rutgers—they—they've fallen off. Now obviously they have a legendary coach, and you know that buys you some time. But, but if we're, if we're being realistic. If that's anybody else at Rutgers, they get fired. You look at—I mean, you look at Purdue. You know they're they're getting back good. They went, I think they went twenty three and thirteen last year, but before then it, it was not good. It was not good at all. Um, Minnesota went five and eleven in the Big Ten last year. I mean, honestly, the Rachel Banham Rachel Banham might not have only brought Minnesota back to relevance. She might have saved her coach's jobs for a few years. I mean, you know, if we're you know we're just you know keeping it all the way honest. She might have saved her coach's jobs for a few years. They went five and eleven in the big, fifteen and sixteen. Illinois hasn't been good in years. Um, Wisconsin just not a good girls team. Nebraska, they have made a stride towards being good, but then you know they've fallen off again. Rutgers, Rutgers, that they are they are by far. Um, just one of the biggest disappointments um, of last season, because like I said, you know they they have they have the coach where you feel like man, Rutgers can be something, they they can do something, and it's just not popping off like that. See, Vivian Stringer is a legend. So of course she has some time to buy it, but listen, you're look you're talking about a team who didn't win on the road last year. 0-14 away from home. 0-1 at a neutral site. Six and nine at home. Listen. I'm not and I'm not on this I'm not on this podcast suggesting that C. Vivian Stringer should be fired. That's not what I'm doing. Um <laughs> we'll be canceled before you know it. But I am <laughs> what I am saying is a lot of these coaches are just getting fired because they're not able to win. You know, and, and that's at the college ranks, that's what it boils down to. 
Now, you know, promising kids that you can turn them into pro players um, and you can do this and this for them, that's great. But what people have to realize is, especially kids who are, you know, being recruited, you're looking at a coach who's on the tail end of their contract. They haven't won anything, and it doesn't look like they're going to win anything in the coming year or so. They're probably going to get fired. They're probably going to be asked to leave. Get your stuff and get out. I mean, like, look at Illinois. You look at Illinois, man. They they haven't been good in years, and I think they've been through, what, like two coaches? Yeah. Two coaches. But they haven't been good in years. And, you know, obviously I pay a little bit of attention to Illinois uh, because there's a kid from Michigan um, who I used to cover, um, and C.O. Rice was still on that team. It's not a good team. Nancy Fahey, she, I mean, you know, she's trying her best. Uh, you know, if, if I have to say something positive. But, you know, obviously she left uh, Washington University, um, and now she's at Illinois. Um, so, you know, this is going to be her first season. But, listen, if she comes in there and does more of the same, guess what's going to happen? She's going to get fired, just like every, just like the other coaches. And I think another reason, though, I think another reason that there's so many, you know, changes and firings and, uh, and everything like that is, I mean, let's just address it, recruiting. You know, right? Some, you know, it's not, it's not, and it's not just sit here and say, "Oh, the kids these schools recruit suck." No, I mean, like, if you were offered a Division One scholarship, you're you're basically looked at as one of the, you know, might not be ESPN top one hundred great, but you're looked at as a as one of the better play as one of the better players in the country if you get a Division One scholarship. So obviously, <laughs> you're not whack. You're suck anything like that. But your might that school might recruit the wrong kids as far as if they don't fit, you know, or, or there's not what they need. Or I'm, or I'm, I need two guards, but I sign a power forward in the center. You know, stuff like that. That's what gets you to me, along with you know it. it and that leads into not winning because you didn't address the need. You needed two guards, listen, but you got two big. Listen, we, t- we talked about this on the, pod- on, uh, the high school podcast um, for a little bit yesterday. Listen, man, if you're losing the recruiting battle in your area, in your state, you're going to be a loser. And, and I feel like recruiting has a direct co- co- correlation with um, winning. But if your recruiting sucks, if your recruiting is not good, you're going to lose. You're going to get fired. And if you make recruiting blunders, I mean like big blunders, your time is going to be short as well. So yesterday, um, and I won't rehash the whole conversation, um, but yesterday I, I had a conversation, um, me and Eric, on our podcast uh, for, you know, just a regular last-second shot. 
um, high school edition. The University of Michigan, very questionable recruiting in state of Michigan. Anybody who follows women's basketball around the state of Michigan knows that to be true. Obviously, um, they started offering more kids in the state um, as of late, but they've also been losers for most of their – the coaching side has been losing for most of their time um, in uh, Ann Arbor. That's not a stretch. Everybody knows I'm an Ohio State fan. I'm not trolling. They're just not – you know, that they haven't historically in this um, coaching staff tenure, they haven't been that great. So they lose the battle in state, not to just Michigan State, who's a Big Ten foe and, and can offer um, all the kids that, that they do and go toe-to-toe with them on the court. They lose out on kids to Central Michigan. They lost out on – um, three of the better players that they had, well, four if you count Samantha Thomas, who was out in Vegas, um, who who started high school in Michigan and then moved out to Vegas. Three out of those four said no to them. Obviously, they got Deja Church off of a, a flip commitment. Um, then the first ever in-state commitment that they got transferred after she didn't even finish the whole season. She transferred towards the end of last season, and she was their best player. If you cannot recruit, you're done. You can't win. There's not been a successful team, um, a, a team that's gotten far. And I, I've said this a lot. There's not been a team that's gotten far um, in, in the tournament and championship level who doesn't win their state recruiting. Dawn Staley wins South Carolina. She wins the Carolinas, north and south. Susie Merchant wins Michigan. I don't know a lot of people who say no to Susie. Gino, he wins, he wins Connecticut. You think Connecticut State, you know, has a prospect that's really good that Gino doesn't know about? No. No, they don't. So, I definitely recruiting plays a, a big factor, but um, I think you'll see that recruiting and winning it is directly correlated in just about every sport. It, it is, and really, does that? I mean, like, like my big thing with this recruiting thing is like you have to. It's so it's too because it, there's too many angles to this, you know not winning your state, one. Not taking a chance and just offering the kid. If you're, you know, yesterday Darren told me a story. Him and uh, our, our, our man, our, our future partner, Jeff McKinney, we had on the show yesterday, you know, were in a conversation with the coach, Cheryl name, Nameless, the university and the coach, Cheryl name, uh, Nameless, and they were so enamored with the kid from Michigan that they asked about it. This is a whole year later. Hey, where did she end up going? Oh, she went to such and such. Oh, she was really good. But they never offered the kid. And what was the statement when y'all went further with that conversation? So I can make my point. What was the, what, what, what was said after that? 
Um, so they basically told me that, you know, we asked, um, because me and Eric, we, we are both coaches um, for an AAU program. Um, so they asked where the young lady went. We told her, yeah, she's out at such and such university. Boom. Then he asks, then me and Jeff uh, proceed to ask, like, so, you know, what are y'all looking for in the 2019 class, 2018 class? We got some players. They say, well, we don't really, we really just recruit kids that we know will come to the West Coast. We don't want to have to pour into kids um, who we have to convince to leave that area. And that's my, like, really big issue. Why? How do you know that that kid won't leave the West Coast if you don't offer? You don't ask. I mean, we'll come to the West Coast, I mean. How you don't know that the kid mo- will leave the region to go anywhere? If you don't ask, you have to offer or ask, at least inquire. If you're that enamored with her, why not? Why not? I think we we touched on Central Michigan. I think they had the right idea. They see a kid they like, hey, we're going to recruit you. And they don't just offer and sit back. No, they're at every game. If you say yes, you say yes. You say no, you say no. But that's how it should be, period. And that's why they're successful. That's why Michigan State is successful. That's why South Carolina is successful. Because not every kid is on or the Carolinas on that team. Bianca Quavo is one of their main cogs. Is from New York. She could easily say, no, I don't want to go down south. She could easy, they could have easily said, no, she's not going to come down here. She probably wants to stay on the East Coast or go to the West Coast somewhere, you know, on the other side of the country. No, they took a chance, and they got someone that helped them lead, to, lead them to a national championship. Take a chance. You have to take a chance. Yeah, it's, listen, man. And... All I'm saying is the team is not that good to the point where they can be picky. Yeah, you know, it 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 just that it baffled me. I'll say that much. It baffled me because I was just like, well, how can you? I I don't understand how you could think of of a kid who you know graduated. You thought, like, a year like Do you know how many prospects a college coach watches in a year? You So, and we went out, this is when One Nation went out to the West Coast um, in the summer of 2016. You hit us up in the middle of the summer of 2017. So, by this time, you've got a whole new crop. you got the recruits that you, you've already brought in from the 2017 class. And then you got your 2018s and 2019s that you're working on. But the there's one kid that you're still thinking of and you didn't offer. You are absolutely crazy. I, I, I came to that conclusion. I was like, yeah, y'all crazy. College coaches are out of their mind. Because, listen, if you're not – if you're scared to get told no by a 17-year-old, you probably don't need to be a recruiter. Yeah, I mean, the whole 
You know the one, hey Darren. You know one phrase we've heard a lot that I, I'm, that? I'm really starting to get irritated by. What's is that? is oh, I don't feel like we're gonna get her, so we're not gonna offer. We're not gonna really recruit her. We love her, but you know we we we're not gonna get her. We're not gonna get her. I don't think we're gonna get her. Do you have an aspect? You you're a loser. Off top, if you talk like that, you're a loser. You got to be somebody who won't take no for an answer until it's too late. And and a lot of women's basketball um, coaches don't have that. A lot of women's basketball coaches are scared to step on toes um, because now you see these, you know, basketball wisdom pages, recruit tip pages, um, and, you know, everything else that you can think of under the sun. Um, Getting mad at coaches for – talking to a recruit who's already verbally committed. Listen, I, you know, and it, <laughs> the, your your little agreement with them don't have nothing to do with me until you sign that paper. And so I'm going to keep going. But, see, if you're just out here giving up, and obviously it's some prospect. You don't do that for every prospect. But if it's somebody you really want, why – why would you let the, the general public's opinion uh, sway you from some, doing something for your team that's going to put you in a winning position? Or why are, you letting, why are you letting the possibility of a no influence how you go after something? It's, it's, it's kind of crazy. When you, you know, when you say it out loud, it sounds even crazier, doesn't it? If you, you're... you're that- like you said, you're scared. Of, you're 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 scared of being rejected by a teenager. And you're a full grown adult. It's called offer. So it's not like hey, you know, you're gonna come to you know, you're offering. Can't Eric, do, offer. You, do you know, Eric? Do you know how funny I would look at you if, um, like, it was a kid we wanted on our team. On One Nation, and he was like, man, I don't know how to go ask him. I'm scared. I don't know if we can get him. Or better yet, if there was a kid that we wanted to come on the high school show, he was like, man, I don't know if they're going to want to come on the show. You know how scrunched up my face would be at you? I hope you will smack. I hope you will, if I ever, ever say something like that, I hope you will smack the ish out of me. I swear I hope you would. Obviously, I wouldn't be in my right mind about stuff like that. And just, I mean, the team that the the team that the coach was from, he went, the team went fourteen and sixteen last year. It's a losing record. You need every player that we have. You need to figure out how you need to figure out how to to clear up scholarships. Because something's not working from the kids that y'all you recruiting over there, so you need to go somewhere different. <laughs> if I've been recruiting the same, nah, I'm serious. If you've been recruiting the same type of kids and you keep losing, you need to go somewhere else and get kids. You need to switch the tournaments that you go to in July and April, and you need to re- re- switch up your uh, scouting service. You need to you need to clean house. You need to get new uh, recruiting coordinators. You need to make somebody else your lead recruiter. 
something. That's not acceptable. To be a well-known university like that, they're not necessarily high major, but their name is recognizable enough, and go 14 and 16? Oh, no. Oh, no. No, no, no. You know, I, I second everything that you just said, you know, and, you know, getting off that before, you know, we we start saying some stuff that can't be said on air. <laughs> um, yes. let's, let's, do some, let's do some way too early slash hot takes, you know, way too early predictions slash some hot takes. So, you know, we had a, we had a different national champion last year with South Carolina. You know, um, now, do you think with that happening, do you think is do you think the the NCAA field is more wide open, or are you no. still saying, oh, that's that's <laughs> you know, I, and I and I agree. I think UConn is loaded. So now, leading to the real question. If you had to pick a final four now, with you know, not you know, I know the brackets aren't out and what the regions haven't been decided and things that, you know like that. But if you just pick the top four teams in the country as you know them now, who would you pick? Uh, UConn, South Carolina, uh, the Ohio State University in Texas. How did I know Ohio State was gonna make gonna creep up in there? Listen, man. I think that I think this is the year that Ohio State makes the step. Obviously, we lost Kier Lewis and Tory McCoy, um, and you know, good luck to them. Um, obviously, you got to make that choice for yourself. Um, but we have Kelsey Mitchell, and nobody else does. Uh, the Ohio State does. Um, I'm sorry, and then I feel like Mavanga. Um, the our the big for Ohio State. Um, she showed so much growth last year. Now there's no more Shayla Cooper, and she was huge. But I feel like everybody else. And then we have another uh, Ohio State has another recruiting class coming in. Um, I'll put it like this: if, if the Ohio State University doesn't make it to at least the Elite Eight, and I'm gonna get on this podcast, the last second shot. Uh, college edition, WNBA edition as well, and I am going to call for uh, I'm going to call for Kevin's job. I'm going to call for Kevin McDuffie's job. This is he has a generational talent on his team. He has enough around on the team where they know what to do. They know how to be productive when Kelsey has to take her breaks and not blow leads. When you have a talent on that on your team like this, you have to go to a Final Four. You do. You're talking, and, and, and you're talking about somebody who can, who can be that number one option in the WNBA or overseas, uh, can be the number one option. Honestly, could have went top three in the draft if she would have came out last year. But she's back. Asia Doss, um, like I said, Mavanga. It's a good team. 
I, I feel like they're the best team in the Big Ten. Um, and, and so I think that bodes well for them getting a, a top one or two seed as long as they're not on the same side of the uh, bracket as UConn. I think they make it to a Final Four. Okay. Well, my list will be UConn, South Carolina. I think Mississippi State Mississippi State makes it back. If they're, and they're now on the same side as the first two. And I will go with Texas. Usually I would say Baylor, but I think I think there's gonna be a new king in the Big Twelve. I really think so. <laughs> I'm a I'm a I'm a Kim Mulkey, die, I'm a diehard Ask Darren. I'm a diehard Kim Mulkey fan. Lord, I hope she's not listening to this uh, podcast because she kind of no, wild. She wild, bro. She gonna scrap you. Uh, she she might she might actually for real pull up on me at the house. She might come straight to fight me. What you say? Boy, boy, we was all that you was talking. Boy, boy, we was all that you was talking, cuz. <laughs> hey, look. Hey, I, look. Hey, I love Kimbogi, but uh, you know, I think you know that 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 uh, we're you know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here that that's the we you say, you know, we're, we're you know, it, it's no new king anytime soon. I think that's a little wrong. I think that's a little wrong this time, baby. I, I think so, baby. Yeah. Uh, I think I think Texas coming for your neck, and I think they're gonna take this Big Twelve crown, and I think they're gonna make the Final Four. You know, I think, and if they're on the same side, I think they can still get there. So, but that, that was but a team, a team that I would have on the the bubble of being a Final Four team, I wouldn't. Be surprised if you know midway through the season we're talking about them being one of the best in the country is Florida State. Um, yeah, they're they're really good. <laughs> they they are not um, they are not anything to laugh at. And you know if you just look at how they played um, against South Carolina uh, South Carolina last year um, as a number three seed. They did not back down. They, they end up losing by seven, um, you know, because they had to storm back um, in, in the fourth quarter. And it actually, throughout the whole second half, they had to storm back. But, you know, they were right there in the thick of things. Um, I, they had a good recruiting class. Um, it, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. I think already they're one of the best teams in the ACC. That's not a question. Just returning back, you you know for sure, for sure that um, they're one of the better teams in the ACC, if not that top spot. But the mark of everything is going to be, you know, if, if they can, if that was lightning in a bottle or if that's, you know, the, the culture shift. No, yeah, that, and that that's a good question. I have another team, you know, that fits that same bill, and that's Stanford. 
for some reason, you you look at Stanford and be like, eh, I don't think they're going to. Culture. Uh, you know, like it's Sweet 16 at best. And you're right. Tara Vanderveer is one heck of a coach. She's one heck of a coach. And for some reason, you'll look at Stanford at the beginning of the year like, eh, maybe 616 at best. They always somehow find a way to creep into the Elite Eight or the Final Four. They're always that team yeah, yeah. that really nobody mentions as that team in the top five or whatever, but they somehow they always find a way to get to the Elite Eight or Final Four. Yeah, I, I can see them um, creeping in there. Now, as we wind down, way too early player of the year prediction. Um, my heart, my heart says Asia Wilson, but my head says Kelsey Mitchell. So I'm going to go with my head and say Kelsey Mitchell, although it's close. You're, but you're a smart man. I don't. I don't think it's particularly going to be close because Kelsey Mitchell is going to break Kelsey Plum's record this year uh, for most career points um, scored. And not saying that's the sole reason Kelsey Plum won last year, but it was mostly because of stats. Kelsey Mitchell goes, breaks that record, goes to the Final Four. I think without a doubt you have to give it to her. On top, on top of, on top of, on top of what she's already accomplished, um, Big Ten All Tournament team in 2015-2016, uh, second team All American 2015-2017, uh, first team All American in 2016, um, and then um, she won Freshman of the Year, uh, won uh, National Freshman of the Year, Big Ten Player of the Year 2015-2017. If Rachel Banham isn't there. Uh, it would be three years in a row. First team all Big Ten three years in a row. Um, am I missing anything? It, it's just I think Asia Wilson is a great player. I think even might be an, uh, a potential number one pick depending on who, who actually gets it uh, this year. But if, if you're telling me that a person who breaks that record and the sole reason you gave it to Kelsey Plum last year is – because of her stats, um, you know, you gotta, you then have to give it to Kelsey. No, I'll feel you on that. I, I do. I'll feel you on that. You know, from that angle, I just, and that's probably the reason why I'm thinking Kelsey Mitchell as well. But I also think Ohio State is going to have a great year, you know, you know, we are going to argue team, so you know what is it, what are our team, you know versus you know versus what Asian Wilson's team done, or whoever else is up for it, you know what their teams have done. I think Ohio State is going to have a really good season, so she's going to have the team record, and then she's going to have the individual accolades to uh, go along with it, and I think that equals Player of the Year. I also do want to say that you will see me start a movement 
um, if a big, a certain Big Ten player doesn't get the opportunities that she deserves. That's just a disclaimer. I got my shirts made already. I'm ready for y'all this year. <laughs> you crazy for this one, Rick? <laughs> the yeah. <laughs> you, know, you, 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 you are something else. You, you, you know that you are already something else. You crazy for this one, Rick? <laughs> no, but as we wind down, though, um, now who do you think? And like everything we're saying right now is way too early. You know, everything is almost way too early. But who do you think has the best year in conference? I I, I know it's a weird question, but, you know, and we're obviously outside of UConn. I was saying out of the power, you know, really the power five conferences, you know, who do you think is going to have the best year in their conference? Because I think looking at the landscape, I think everything's probably pretty much wide open in each conference. Um, I think Texas dominates the Big 12 this year. Um, my heart, my heart, as you said, is kind of with Tennessee dominating the SEC this year. I think even with Diamond DeShields gone, I think it's going to be hard to, to stop that version of Mercedes Russell. Um, along with all the other guard talent that they have. Um, Pac-12, who knows? I think UCLA um, probably dominates the most uh, out that way. Um, The Big Ten, I don't actually – I don't think anybody – I think Maryland and Ohio State splits it again um, as far as who dominates it. But – You know, I picked Ohio State to go to a Final Four, so I'm going to stick with Ohio State. But don't be surprised if Maryland wins the regular season uh, Big Ten championship. They're that good. And the ACC, I'm going with Florida State. Um. My prediction is the same is the same as yours, but in the Pac-12, I will go with Stanford. I will go. I think Stanford, or it will be a split with UCLA and Stanford. But I don't think UCLA will win it outright. That's my prediction. Definitely. But um, yeah, as we wind down, man. Hey, we got something special coming for the Midwest. Um, Michigan is going to have sprinkles of the Midwest in, in it, though. Um, last week in Shot the Magazine, um, man, we're producing this it's for the streets. You know what I'm saying? We do this for the streets, for the hood. <laughs> nah. <laughs> but um, not really. Um, last week in Shot the Magazine, uh, we're still trying to figure out who the cover athlete is going to be. Um, it's going to be it's going to be Shades of Hoop Girls. I keep saying that, but, um, you know, it's going to be Shades of Hoop Girls, um, Shades of Slam, 
um, you know, and, and it's gonna be it's gonna be for it's gonna be for the young women out there who do it. You know what I'm saying? For the recognition of them, um, we're not looking to, to get rich off of it. We ain't charging two hundred a book. <laughs> we not. Uh, what I do? I'm chilling, man. Look, we not we not charging. You know what I'm saying? We not charging Buku for it. We just want to. Um, we want to publicize the kids from our state and from our area. Um, and hopefully we can grow this thing to be a national thing. And, and, and you know, and we hope that y'all bang with us, man. We hope that everybody, um, we hope that everybody likes the first edition and, and help us grow it, man. Help us build. And um, you know, as big as we get, the bigger we gonna make women's basketball. You know, we're not trying to we're not trying to keep people out. You know, we ain't gonna scoff at the at the new publication or the new podcast coming out. You know, we ain't going to be on Twitter throwing shots. Not at all. That's not what we do. We show love to everybody. You know what I'm saying? Like, a women's basketball needs it. So, you know, we're not in the business of tearing people down who's just doing what they do. They just love the women's game. We're not in the business of doing that. You know what I'm saying? You know, we, we, don't, have, we don't have the time to be doing that. So, I I really don't have the time, man. I'm out here. I'm out here trying to make money in ever, other avenues of life. I don't got time to to be out here on Twitter throwing shots at another man that I don't know. That I don't got no personal problem with. That's crazy. Y'all need to reevaluate yourselves. On y'all on y'all little platforms, you need to reevaluate yourselves, man. But um. Eric's supposed to be setting up a special guest for our next podcast, I think. And um Yeah, you know, something to work. Something to work's a, a big homie, a, a OG in the game. Um, supposed to be joining us. So we're looking forward to that, man. But this first episode, we just wanted to get y'all caught up onto everything. Um, how we feel about certain things. Man, thank you for tuning in. Um, and if you're listening on iTunes, make sure you subscribe. Um, if you're listening on Blog Talk, just thank you for uh, making us one of the most listened uh, to sports talk shows um, on this Blog Talk platform. Uh, I take pride in that, and I really appreciate everybody who listens. 10,000 listeners as of uh, a few, about seven, over the last seven days, 10,000 total listeners, and we haven't been on there we haven't been broadcasting in five months. So uh, thank y'all. Appreciate all the love. Um, We're going to get out of here. Yeah, you got anything to out. say, Eric? I mean, oh. well, let me, let me, let me plug. Let me you crazy, put this one, Rick. Let me plug the mixtapes, you know. We do do that, too. We just put out, what, me, we put out three or four text. in the last two days. We we put out we put out three in a, a mini mix, um, and I'm trying to get the nation tape done, guys. Um, having just a, a couple technical difficulties. I know I said it was gonna be out last night, but uh, make sure y'all tweet that hashtag nation tape. That'll motivate me to get it done um, and, and work through the technical difficulties. <laughs> but hashtag nation tape, man, let's get it. Hey, but uh, we out, man. I ain't I ain't beat the case. I did the race.